out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. That's a very nice idea, Jim. Hello, welcome. This is the C86 show. As you know, always playing the finest in indie pop, and sometimes before and sometimes after. And we always like a special guest. This week it's going to be Goober Patrol because I spoke to Tom Blythe from the band all the way in Germany uh, to find out more about life, love, poetry and all that other sort of groovy stuff that happens when you've committed to the world that is rock and roll. So this is the interview. It's quality chat, mostly from Tom. I was just on the other end being polite. But anyway... Enjoy, make notes, I will test you at the end. If you want to contact me, we'd love your messages. You can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, that's the C86 show. Keep it clean, use wet wipes at all times. We don't like to spread any germs. Anyway, Tom, save this interview. Oh, after a bit of chat and casual getting to know each other, we got down to that fantastically interesting subject of those early musical influences. Tom, it's over to you to save this interview. Have fun. Well, I guess, well, I'm, I'm early 70s date of birth. So for me, my earliest memories of music was like, um, I mean, the 80s was when I got completely obsessed myself, I suppose. Um, but I had a very influence, like my mum used to play a lot of, well, she played music all the time. Beatles was always a thing and um, Neil Diamond and things like that. But myself, I, I got heavily into Adam and the Ants <laughs> when I was uh, first into music. Um, and that led kind of a, a path towards punk, basically. My cousin had bought me a Clash, um, Should I Stay or Should I Go single. And it was like, from then on, it was... Yes. It, it was that, and I became incredibly obsessed with it. I liked things like, um, I don't know, John Peel was something I'd, I'd listened to him all the time, made tapes myself. Um, and it was just, you know, it was incredibly, there was so much he'd, he'd play. And then from lots of the stuff he played, I got into other things like some, um, I suppose, harder stuff like Extreme Noise Terror and Napalm Death, things like that. And because uh, he played such a diverse amount of music. And yeah, I, I used to tune into him all the time. Um and like I say, uh, Adam and the Ants, and I'm trying to think, well, you know. Um, well, what it was interesting, because Adam, there's that early years, he had that, yeah. um, he had the Burundi drummers, didn't he? Had That's right, yeah, yeah. And, and then, because I was listening to a bit of Bow Wow Wow the yeah. other day and thinking, I think it's the same backing, almost the same band, actually. It's but the they, same band, yeah. But there was a particularly, I don't know, Perona? There was a really yeah. good guitarist in that Marco, band. Marco, yeah. Marco, what a genius. Yeah, cause, yes. Because I think Malcolm McLaren nicked Adam's, band and or was it the other way around i don't know yeah i think he nicked the band and got them into bow wow wow yeah with annabella uh, yeah 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 that was that uh, wasn't it so yes that's the that's why they've got that production but marco was just a genius because yeah. it was interesting because i i suppose i can remember my mum playing radio 2 and jimmy young and and all that yeah. kind of stuff so i listened to a lot of that kind of radio 2 stuff in the late 60s but it was top of the pops in the early 70s with yeah I you know S- sweet and gary glitter and slaves yeah. and t-rex but it was kind of thankfully my first love was david bowie which kind of stayed with me for all Brilliant. my life but it 
was um, yeah. space oddity and, and sort of being obsessed. But I had an older brother who was seven years old and he was into things. He was into the prog world. So funny enough, I, you know, I just wanted to listen to music all the time. So I, yeah. I have an amazing understanding or, or memory of all those Genesis and Yes albums and Wish, oh, right. yeah, yeah. which was quite strange. And he liked a bit of heavy metal, but he hated punk. So it was kind Sorry. of, it, yeah, because prog, yeah. prog didn't go to punk. It was just, uh, like, it was too frivolous. It was not, yeah. not, not sort of, there was no huge kind of bass solo and keyboard sure. solo or kind of the London Philharmonic Orchestra sort of doodling at yeah. the back. It was, it was just kind of throwaway disposable music. But it was kind of the 80s, I suppose, when I started to, I was suppose I was listening to music that was happening rather than music that had sort of almost been and sure. gone, which was a bit the case because he had some, he had certain albums like this, um, the Beatles Sergeant Pepper and the yeah. Elton John Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, which I loved. I listened to it all the time, but yeah. had, had no appreciation. No, it, it had no kind of at the time sort of particular cultural significance or work. Totally. You know, you just thought this is a good album. But you yeah, know, and and then you realise later, you think actually the Beatles had only split up about four years before that. Uh -huh. You know, when I was listening to it, which wasn't that long ago, really. So sure. then during the so were you. At school, were you sort of were people yeah. getting into bands and stuff like that at that period point? Totally. I mean, we we at school. I mean, I was just just remembered like I loved all things like Madness and Specials and Joe Bo the Boxer Beat and things and Dixie's Midnight Runners and that kind of thing was was you know if that came on top of the pops. I remember seeing it exploited on top of the pops, um, and and thinking this is just absolutely amazing. I remember, and um, funnily enough, this is, uh, um, there's the, the other band I play in is a band called The Toy Dolls and um, did a track called Nelly the Elephant in the 80s, well, before I was in the band. Mm -hmm. And and so that was on, I remember watching that on TV um, when it was on top of the pops. I think it was on, got to number two. And um, my parents were like, God, look at that. That looks so awful. God, look at what, what a racket. And I just sat there thinking, this is amazing. And then fast forward, then I'm in the band. Um, and now both of them separately are like, actually, that's really, that's not bad, is it? And I'm thinking, <laughs> you know, you weren't saying that, you know, at the time. But um, when, I, but back to your question, when I was at school, I was, it was very kind of divided in a way that um, I was very much into the alternative like I say, like I then start to get, you know, dare I say, so like Sisters of Mercy and Fields of the Nephilim and like that, and the goth kind of thing was going on at the time, and um, the cult I loved as well. And my um, people at school used to take the piss, you know, if you like wrote Sex Pistols on your bag, people take the piss or spit on it, which is quite ironic. Um, and it was kind of a, a bit of a division. And then as I grew older, I was got quite into skateboarding. And we used to listen to sort of music that would get us going, which was like a lot of punk music. And then skate within skateboarding, there was people who liked hip hop and there was people who liked um, punk or metal or whatever. I liked hip hop as well. I kind of liked it all, really. But um, I remember very, very vividly, like parents, etc. when you played like punk, that it got the it got the reaction you kind of wanted if you played the anti-nowhere league at home then I'd get in some trouble. And I remember sitting around my friend Tim's house and um, we'd listen to Nevermind the Bollocks, like, turn right down. I'm, in fact, he's the one who got me into Sex Pistols originally. Um, he had all the singles and stuff, and we listened to Nevermind the Bollocks with the, the sound turned down and our ears to the thing. It was Looking back, it was incredibly mild compared to nowadays. You know, there was no 
gangster rap or anything like that. So, (laughs) yeah, happy days, you know, happy, naive days of discovering things. I mean, it's the same nowadays. Bands pop up and I think, God, that's brilliant. Yes. Uh, I guess I'm less, I, I have no prejudice now because when I was younger, of course, I'd think, I'm a punk now, or I, or I like goth, or this, this or that, and you'd see a skinhead and think, oh god, that's a skinhead. I don't like their music. You know, it's just this kind of genre and subcultures of people into their particular thing. And I and and say I wouldn't listen to something if it wasn't fast enough because I'd think I was wasting my time. But you know, music can come in all sorts of different forms, and you know, I love it. Yes. Well, it was interesting. Well, actually, the big divide, because I sort of come, I suppose, from East, yeah, sort of Suffolk. And uh, the main band that you mustn't or would never say anything against was Status Quo, because you'd really get beaten up. Oh, really? The Quo were the band. And there was a kind of real thing about, because I remember when Two Tone happened, most people were into sort of a certain amount of heavy rock, you know, and and sort of, I remember these village hall discos where they play sort of cheesy disco, and then suddenly they'd have half an hour or 15 minutes of some headbanging music and the lads would get up and do that yeah. bizarre dance in a circle which was like some pagan ritual of throwing yeah. their, throwing their heads back and forward while having their thumbs in their sort of I don't know jeans yeah. pockets that it's kind like of looping, isn't it? yeah I love yeah, it yeah yes but the quo were the, the untouchable you could say anything about anybody yeah. mostly but you'd really get beaten up but yeah it was it was John Peel who started to introduced me to yes I suppose the reason I got obsessed with it is that I often think I've got sort of limited attention span was that he would yeah. just play you know a reggae track of you know Bulgarian folk a sort of yeah. the, the Bundu boys and then he was yeah it was hit the early hip-hop years of DJ Cheese and Roxy Chante and yeah and Public Enemy early Public Enemy and I thought oh this is very exciting stuff yeah, you know? yeah totally yeah um so that that was kind of it but i've always veered towards indie pop that was where my sort of uh-huh. sp- spiritual center uh, center went but interesting enough because you mentioned two of the bands the only time i met john peel vaguely met him i was in the same space was um yeah. a napalm death and extreme noise terror gig in ipswich at the Caribbean Club. At the Caribbean Club. I met him that night as well. <laughs> we were there. It was. Yeah. It was probably late eight. As eight, yeah, it was that period. Late eight, definitely. It was. It was. Yeah, the Caribbean Club. Um, there you go. There was a third band. It might have been Carcass. I don't know. Carcass or sort of like, I think like Bolt for or Sore Throat did some gigs like that as well. I remember when I met him. It was like. It was like this proper, like, I don't know, have you seen Mr. Jolly Lives Next Door? Yes. <laughs> and he goes, it's Nicholas Parsons, isn't it? It bloody is. It was like, I looked and went, it's John Peel, it's bloody John Peel, isn't it? And he's like, yes. And I was like, you know, I've made a really bad first impression, I think. And then I walked off because I was quite pissed. Um, but yeah, he seemed like a nice bloke. And he he, he actually gave us a, did us a Peel session with Google Patrol. Yes. Um, in um, 1994. Was the first. That was my first ever time in a recording studio, actually. Um, like recording, because he got. In t- we sent him a single, um, which was just been recorded, and uh, then didn't hear nothing. And then on the radio, my friend Mid from um, a Norwich band called Deviated Instinct, he got in touch. He said, because on John Pe- John Peel played the the single, and he said, if any of Goober Patrol are listening could you get in touch, please? I'd like to do you a session. We didn't hear it. Then our friend told us and we were like, bloody hell. Got in touch with the secretary and said, yeah, yeah. And within a couple of weeks, we were down at Maida Vale Studios doing a session, um, which was very, very surreal. <laughs> yes, it must have been. Was it with the famous guy from Mott the Hoople? Um, 
Oh God, what was his name? He was the one who did all the... He always seemed to say the same name for the producer, uh, for John Peel Sessions. Ours oh. was Mick, Mick Ronson, I think. Oh, Mick Ronson, not the one that I was going to see, expect, actually. I'll remember it in a bit, but there was the, the Mott the Hoople yeah. drummer seemed to be oh, right. the, the, the guy who was doing all the sort of yeah. uh, producing and, and stuff for, for John Peel. Uh-huh. Oh, God, Hoople. Um, yes. So, look, so when did the band, when did you say, this is the band, we've got the name, we have rejected lots of crap names, this is the one that we're going to stick with, and we're the band, and no one's going to join uh, us? Well, that was actually, um, again, this guy, Mid, from Deviate Instinct, he said um that we looked like a, a bunch of goobers um because i don't know what I, I guess goober is a slang for a some kind of american hillbilly or something so it was very complimentary um and th- i think it just stuck and that was it um because it was actually the band actually started with Stuart simon which are two brothers and this guy called ian and a separate singer and they they did a couple of practices and i think they even did one gig in yarmouth and then streamlined it down to all the uh, the guy left i don't know so it's like about a four uh three piece and then the me and my friend tim used to, and my friend ed used to go along with them as like roadies which just meant getting pissed in the van on the and then then uh the bass player the, it it some it was a bit bizarre with him and then he kind of left got pushed out and then i joined um and that was 93 i think so i guess Basically, the band was about 89 doing a few bits and pieces. And then 93, then 94, we did a... In 1994, we decided to have a real go at it, I think. Right. Because, um, like, we, we all... Like, the, the brothers gave up their jobs. They had quite good jobs. And um, I was I was on the dole at the time, I think. I just left home and stuff like this. Um, and, yeah, we just got a transit van and did that kind of thing. We just jump in and drive... Yeah. To Ipswich or, or like Barnsley, play a gig for 50 quid, stay at someone's house and then drive back again, you know, things like that. Because um, then... it's interesting because a lot of the, the sort of without sounding like an old person, I am an old person. But, you know, because in the 80s, a lot of that early period, everyone, you know, a lot of people were unemployed. So being unemployed yeah. wasn't a big thing. And there was the Enterprise yeah. Alliance and the various other schemes that the, the government had brought in to try and get the numbers down. And and, yeah. sort of get, and so people could have a year almost being self-employed while claiming right. benefits. And, that's, and so a lot of bands thought, let's get drunk, let's take drugs, let's form a band. <laughs> what what more yeah. can... And then, you know, they would get a single, you know, they'd do a song, which was pretty shambolic. So obviously John Peel loved it. John Peel yeah. played it. They'd get a session. Then the first album, first album, things going well. Second yeah. album, oh, not so good. If anybody ever tours America, disaster. Everybody one comes back shattered by that and want to kill each yeah. other um so that's not normal but but the other thing that sort of knocked a lot of bands that i found out um is the kind of suddenly about that 87 88 time 87, yes that's right um you know the music scene was changing so if anybody had been in a band for about four or five years the music press were moving on and in that period yeah. it was like everyone wanted the dance scene and then there was the grunge uh-huh. scene so you came along when we'd had the sort of the buttholes and big black and sonic youth and and so, and yeah. so and so Brit pop were we were shiny we were feeling optimistic yeah. though it was John still John Major but um, we loved yeah, it yeah. but so so were you were you sort of the odd 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 people at the party we were, well we've always been the odd people at the party in a way it was like a, for an orange band we we you know we used to support all the bands that played in like uh, I mean we even played gigs for you know benefit for the waterfront to get open originally um but like we played the arts center a lot 
supporting bands like Lemonheads and um, Fugazi we supported in um, at the waterfront and, you know, all those kind of bands. And then I think when we started, because we actually got in the NME, there was a, a few times and they kind of, um, what's the word? I don't know. They Well, they said nice things about us. They put us in the same category as like Senseless Things, Mega City 4, Snuff. At that time, when those things were going on, we were kind of on the margins playing gigs with them in the way, but not as popular as Census Things, Mega City 4 and Snuff, of course. But, um, you know, we were doing all the stuff. We'd, we Luckily, we had some good contacts to get us on good gigs in um, in uh, London, you know, play in, and stuff like that. It was, uh, but we always, to this I mean, yeah, to this day, we've always been a bit like the the odd one out in a way, which is good. I think it's good to not be like, for instance, we we, we got signed to an American record label in 96 and uh, we don't really sound like anything on the label, really, um, which makes it very individual. And, you know, people would sometimes not <laughs> would play a gig and people go, I don't really, I think I liked it. I don't really know because of what we were doing was kind of a, how best I can describe it. Something like, you know, Stiff Little Fingers? Yes. They're like, they've got punk songs and they mix it up with a bit of reggae and things like that. And we were putting some ska and some reggae and bits of high, you know, fast songs, you know. Some songs would be about four songs and one song, which was a bit much for some people. I don't know. But, it, yeah, we've always kind of been the odd one out, which is good. Yes. Uh, you know, always... Uh, so with your with your first two kind of proper albums, they were on Boss Tunage. Yeah, yeah, that's they were, right. There was Truck Off and Dutch Ovens. Yeah. So they came out very early nineties. Before you was was the American label, them's no. them's, no, that, that, them's no, good no. records. No, that's the uh, what happened was we was Boss Tunage was very early on, and uh, then this label called um, Third Stone Recordings from Corby. I, our friend Bruce was driving us and he was like driving us a lot to London gigs and stuff because basically we could you know get pissed on the way there and back and uh, so he would hand that responsibility to him and he was driving this other band and somehow he gave the CD, our CD or single or something to the band and they gave it to their record label which was Third Stone who also, who also did bands like Spaceman Free Um so again, we're the completely odd one out on that label, and they came and said, "Oh, you know, oh, we'll 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 license all the other records. We'll put them on CD. Um, we'll give you a, a deal, three, four record deal, or whatever." And we were stood there in Corby in the in the Granny Annex, going, "Wow, this is amazing!" You know, they bought us like two cases of little French beers, which probably cost them a tenner or something like that. But we were like, wow, this is amazing. You know, go, you know, you're going to see the world boys and all this. And it was kind of very like a, a non, you know, didn't really think about it very much. Got the contract looked at by a um, lawyer who said, called Stephen King, funnily enough, he said, yeah, it's a bit all right. Not very fair, but changed this and that as, as it were, as it's gone on through the years, it's a very unfair record contract like most of them. Anyway, cut a long story short, they released a few CDs, like the CD called Vacation, we recorded. And then we sent it to this label in America called Fat Records, who were like very were on the up at the time. And they still are. It's like they've got these bands like No FX and 
no use for a name, me first, and the gim- gimme gimme's in this. And then for us, it was a huge deal because they were the bands we were supporting who were coming over. Um, and it was a, such a market. So automatically, you sold 25,000 records, and you're like, bloody hell. So anyway, our English label licensed these records, the next two albums to them, made a load of money, but we didn't. <laughs> um, that's another story. But anyway, it's uh, so yeah, that was that was how it went. And then I guess we, after that, I think the last thing we re- released was on a completely different label. Um, that was about seven years ago, I think. Seven years ago, yeah. So sorry if that was a bit rambly, but <laughs> a lot has gone on in the. I don't know how many ever eighty-eight and yeah, yes. Well, the not, you, but in the nineties, you were sort of probably gigging and recording yeah. kind of twenty-four-seven. Yeah. So there wasn't sort of any. There was no. There's no other uh, time for anything. No, it was brilliant. It was we all lived in the same house, and it was like a commune in a way, and it was detached. Where was we, this? This was like this is what we first we lived on Elsham Road, opposite this place, opposite the pub called the. Uh, I can't remember what the pub's called now, but it was. Um, like it was a, a big five bedroom house, five of us lived there, really like run down. And it was like a open house, basically. And the, all the gear was set up in my bedroom all the time. And so we'd drink and have parties and then get pissed, write songs, practice all the time and go on tour all the time. But in between, of course, because the touring wasn't so lucrative because we weren't so careful with money. Um, we'd have to get a job to pay the rent. So we'd all go and work at Coleman's Mustard Factory, <laughs> which was 12-hour shifts, which was a bit of a come down from playing, Yes, you know, being on tour and having fun. It's literally like going to prison in a way because, you know, six till six was quite harsh. But there you go. This is what we were willing to do at the time for the music, you know. It was like something that sounded for the music. But seriously, it was just so much fun. I mean, I can't, you know, for, for me, thinking back, it's just so, we've had so much it's worth every second of working in shit Coleman's because we had so much fun, basically, and so much experience. Yeah, absolutely. So, so how long did that? It sounds like something from the the young ones. I mean, yeah, but it was kind of because we lived together. So, for, yeah, it's kind of meets with Nell and I, really. Yeah, it's like eighteen years we lived together, nearly ninety, something like that. Which we is lived, longer than most people's relationships. Exactly, and it was we, we'd like. Work together, sleep at, um, nearly said sleep, <laughs> sleep, sleep at the same, you know, live together and uh, tour together, write songs, practice. And we didn't, you know, people used to say it was like the Goober Manchild Mansion or something. There's so many rumours as well. Like we had, like we were on drugs all the time and drunk all the time. We weren't. And it was um, a fair amount of booze. But it's, um, yeah, we lived at Elsham Road and then we were evicted and they knocked the house down. <laughs> so that is very young ones and then <laughs> we got another house on Earlham Road and we thought like we'll, we'll tone it down and we'll bring it down a bit because you know we, we want to make you know we want to try and be less um I don't o- even obvious I guess where but, about, actually whereabouts on the Earlham Road because that's where I'm based now it's like halfway up like you know where the Tesco's is at the top um there's Earlham Road there's there's a roundabout Tesco's. It's in between the two roundabouts. There was oh, like yes, yeah. station and Tesco's, and we were bang halfway. It was a big pink house, and then they evicted us and knocked it down again. And <laughs> 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 um, we used to practice there as well, like but quietly, with brushes and stuff, and we had less parties. Um, 
and at the time I guess it was about 2000 we no it wasn't later than that I don't know anyway but at one point our drummer Stuart said I've had enough of doing shit jobs I'm, I'm gonna go to get an education <laughs> you know higher education and yes. decided to do an access course and then went to university and now he's a teacher and that broke my heart because <laughs> then everybody else everybody did it like Simon the singer he did it and Tim and then I thought I'm no good at anything academic this is why playing in a band suits me so well um, and at the time I felt we were on really on the crest of a wave because we'd been touring America we'd been uh doing a lot you know and uh albums were coming out there was interest and then it kind of flattened out for a while because uh education came in and which is in hindsight a much better idea because as we were going we used to kind of burn ourselves out a bit if you know, it, no shit it was like you know we tour america for three months come home and then be shaking because it was kind of <laughs> kind of an ordeal so then, with, with with the american thing because i'd sort of mentioned that earlier most yeah. i think basically 100 percent of the time my, my, everybody has said we did america and then we split up so how come I, you had such a good time because because it's literally just such a predictable thing that everyone said yeah. And, and yeah it destroys people so but, but it didn't destroy the no no it was brilliant it was like we were always when we got back from america like depressed we we're going. Oh, we've got to go back to our our house in on Elsham Road, and the, the gas has probably been cut off by now. And the, you know, back to reality. And you know, we'd smuggle all the t-shirts we didn't sell back in our cases, and we'd be. And then people would come round and go because it was like, I don't know, going into. I abs, absolutely loved it over there. And we all, I don't know, it's bizarre because the first the first time we went there, we were so naive. Um, and it was just so much booze every night. It was, you know, and, and again, we took our friend Bruce, who was driving us, which was great. And um, so I guess for about, I mean, I can only speak for myself here, but I was drunk for three months. It was kind of <laughs> good and bad because, of course, you come home shaking. Um, but I read a review from that time saying that the uh, they went to see Goober Patrol. It was in Detroit or something. And we'd, we'd driven all day, of course, because it was so far apart. And there was a time zone we went through. And we decided in our Goober fashion, oh, we're a bit hungry. Let's go to Pizza Hut. So we sat, had a sit-down meal at Pizza Hut. We were already horrendously late. Got to the gig, literally loaded out onto the stage and went straight on. And the review of that gig says that they got better the more they drank. <laughs> So it was like, I didn't know how to take that, but it was wonderful. There was no internet really then like faxes and, you know, we, we went everywhere. We played, you know, it was so much fun and we got such a good reception from people. And of course the record label behind us was a real help. Um, they paid for our flights and things like that. And it was just amazing. You know, I've got so many good friends still from then. Um, I guess the, th the, the, the last time we went was, more difficult because we tried to strip it down to to save money and I think after that so in a way we kind it wasn't after that when it kind of leveled out a bit but it, um I'd say the second time it kind of does knock the stuffing out of you when you get back and especially if you think oh I'm skint now I need to go and sign on and you just think well three days ago I was in like Miami 
Yes. You know, having a right laugh in, and you get, and usually like the, 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 the club that, you know, addresses are in the worst part of town. So it's kind of the best fun. <laughs> you know, it's like, I loved it. And I, and, and I've been, I've only been back once with, with the band of playing our toy dolls. We went five years ago and we played Coachella. Oh, yes. Uh, and we played that. Yeah. We actually played it twice because it was on two weekends and it was, we played there, San Francisco and Los Angeles, and met loads of friends. And uh, it was nice to do it in a different capacity, like in bigger venues, if you see what I mean, and, and, a, and a big festival like Coachella. Yeah. And we were the odd ones out there as well. I think it was Motorhead, uh, Toy Dolls, Fishbone were the only, and Frank Turner were the only kind of in that kind of genre, but you got, you know, Lana Del Rey and people like that playing. Yeah, it was very surreal. I think some of the people didn't know what to make of us. No, it's very bizarre. Yeah, but you know, or Lemmy. All... I mean, so so interesting enough with the band and the lineup, it never hardly changes. You didn't no. you, you didn't have any because I did a sort of interview with Fast Eddie, and I mean they had a that first kind of lineup only had about five years, if that. They did yeah. three amazing albums, but it yeah. kind of explodes pretty disastrously in, on one of their Canadian tours and the whole yeah. Wendy O. Williams kind of debacle. So so how come the 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 band didn't kill each other? Um, good question. I mean, there was there was heated arguments in the morning about where we'd have breakfast. Sometimes, like they'd like Denny's or Subway, and I was trying to be a bit healthy uh, and get Subway because it's got some salad. And they were <laughs> Denny's, um, but and we're all vegetarians, so it was like you know it was kind of difficult to find vegetarian food sometimes. But that was a bone of contention. Maybe uh, I guess. Yeah, I think we. Uh, one big argument we had actually was at home, um, and we'd all been out. We all went out and went down to the Louis Marchese and got pissed. And I, I don't know. It was my fault actually. I, 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 uh, I think someone gave me a Valiant, and I, and it didn't agree with me. And I was drunk, and I argued with them all all the way home. <laughs> they wanted to beat me up, but uh, that was the only time I can really remember. But on tour, we always just had a good laugh. You know, we didn't take it too. We didn't take ourselves too seriously, or. You know, we were just thinking that it is what it is. We wouldn't think, oh, there's 10 people here and go, oh, this is shit. We'd just get on with it. And other times, if it was really full, you go, this is amazing. You know, it was just, I don't really know, because we were all friends beforehand. Yes. And I went to school with Tim for all my school life, and we were skateboarding and stuff together before that. So relationships had already been established, and it was, yeah, the best time of my life, to be honest with you. It was like... um the real, real, uh, fantastic memories, you know. There's no, no no darkness around it, which is great. Yeah, and on the musical journey, because you did a lot of albums. I mean, most people yeah. don't do that that many albums, but you sort of yeah. definitely sort of sort of did them. I mean, was there, you know, between... I mean, what's your memories in, of sort of sitting down and thinking, right, next album we're going to do? I mean, did, yeah. it, did it sort of... I mean, you never did a low album, did you? You didn't do the, no. the, the Brian Eno collaboration or anything like no, that? No, no. I mean, with, with that, it was like uh, the, the main songwriter was Simon the Singer. Um, Stuart would have ideas and sometimes lyrics and or I'd have bass line you know all these different aspects mainly it would be Simon who'd like construct it but you know we'd fresh it out in the in the in my bedroom or down plug or um noise box and we'd just practice we used to practice so much 
because it's so much fun. It was for us, it was better fun than going out. Yeah. You know, spending a fortune down the pub and doing loads of stuff you regret, or you know, waking up with the doom instead of using it creatively. And of course, you, it doesn't get so creative when you get too pissed. But it's like, I don't know. It was like I'd say the second album we did for Fat Records because there's a certain sound of that label. I guess some of the songs were kind of subconsciously or, or obviously written with that in mind. But apart from that, you know, with, with the last one we did was just, which really people were scratching their heads going, this is like, this doesn't sound like Gator Patrol or this isn't this, but it's still us. So we just did some, it wasn't vastly different. It was just a bit calmer, I think, because that was how we were at the time, you know? Yeah. It, 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 it kind of reflected because we were so, I mean, I went to university in the end myself. I went to, I went and got a, a chocolate teapot degree, a bloody um, graphic design degree. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and it was, in, and actually when I, and um, so at the time we were kind of studying a lot, but we were still practicing every Friday and all, all weekend. Um, we relocated to Eton and we found a house there which we could practice in as well, a detached house, no complaints. So Fridays through to Saturday, through to Sunday, we just practice and make some songs. And the songwriting would be just, even just daft stuff, you just like spontaneous and then develop it. And some of the best things are made out of fun, you know? I mean, a lot of, a lot of the best art and stuff is like made out of misery. <laughs> of course, that's like, uh, you know, you can be quite productive when, when you're miserable, but... Um, and did you always manage to get a producer that could sort of capture the sound you wanted? Yeah, luckily, yeah. We, we, there was this guy called Ian Weatherall in um, uh, Corby in, I can't remember the name of the studio, Premier Studios, very very original name. Um, yeah, he just seemed to get it and we'd just go, nice one, great, thank you. And it, his, his studio was part of a nightclub as well. So... Um, there was we were when we were doing the this album called the unbearable lightness of being drunk for fat records it was like we were we what we used to do was go you know have the songs all sorted and then practice 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 as if we were recording then go and record because it saves time um so basically we got to the mixing and we'd been recording all week and uh we had this sort of from the nightclub we said yeah the nightclub's open now and we were like, all right then, Ian, we trust you. And he, we let him mix it. We went into the nightclub and got pissed. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and then realised when we got the finished thing back after it had been released, we were sat in the front room listening to it, going, yeah, this sounds great. Yeah, nice one, yeah. But we didn't do any backing vocals. <laughs> <laughs> and we were like, all oh, right, yeah, that would have been a good idea. I mean, there's some, but we, we, we had other plans. Yes. So, so, that was, so as the band progressed, because obviously that um, <laughs> there were song, songs that were too shit for fat that came yeah. out. Um, I mean, that was there was quite a gap, and then there's another quite huge gap with between yeah. that and the next one, which is mind the gap. So, what yeah. was, was this the the student days? Was this your yeah. de de degree period? Totally, yeah. That was the time when we were doing all of that, and then um, Simon and Tim went on to do master's degrees and then PhDs. So that kind of killed the band a bit, really. You know, that was, that was, you know, that was it, really. And for me, I finished my uh, art degree and thought, right then, let's go and get a proper job. Um, but in between, I'd, I'd met this guy called Olga, 
who's the singer of Toy Dolls, he was in another band called the Dickies at the time. Oh, yeah. So did and, they do the Banana Splits? Yes, yeah, that's them, yeah. And I, I went on tour with them as a roadie um, uh, during some time off in, well, I just, I think I just bunked off university and just went on tour. And I met him and I gave him a Goober Patrol CD, like, here, have one of my demo tapes. And then he got in touch with me two weeks after I'd left uh, art college and said, did I want to audition for the band? And I went, yeah, all right, nice one. I went down and I, and I got it somehow. I don't know how, bluffed it and did it. Um, so I never really got that proper job, <laughs> which is, you know, which is a bit, you know, I just thought right now I'm going to get, I'm going to get someone, I'm going to get pension. I'm going to get, you know, you know, security. And then off I was on tour again. <laughs> but, you know, I, I'm still doing it now. You know, well, you know, it's just brilliant. 16 years later, it's like best fun you can have really. Yes. Like, so they, the, so basically, the, the house at Eton didn't get knocked down, did it? So third time lucky on that one. Oh yeah, that 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 didn't get knocked down, but the uh, I think they had to replace the oven. Oh, that's always, <laughs> that's always the case. So did yeah. you did the band have a moment where you all sat down in the front room and say, "Shall we call it a day?" Or did you just did it just not really? sort of? No, I never had that conversation. Really, it was like. Um, I'd say I would never even said like hiatus or anything like that. It just like comes and it recently it comes and goes as as we as 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 it suits us, which is great because before when we were doing it all the time, we had so many gigs and stuff. It it just like say you'd get up on a Sunday morning hungover and you think, oh god, I've got to drive to. I remember we were supposed to play. Um, not holidays in the sun when it was called wasted or rebellion or what holidays one of before oh yes rebellion. yeah um and it was Morecambe or somewhere and we're like oh I've got to drive up there now who's the least hungover like, I don't know check the check the lineup and there was this this band on there and the dodgy looking band and we're like I oh, wasn't that a band that was condemned eighty four that our dodgy old skinhead band were like, yeah, well, fuck it, we're not going. Um, you know, that was like the decision, the very tenuous. I mean, of course, morally, it's a good decision. But yes. then things like this used to pop up when you just think it's such a chore to drive to Birmingham now. Um, but, you know, we did it and it was just, it was it was full on, you know, like this. I remember saying to a girlfriend at the time, a girlfriend at the time was like, um, we just got a fax come through and it was like, do you want to come to America and tour with this band? And it's like three months. Yes. <laughs> you know? And uh, then it's a, then cheaper. Sh- it, it destroys relationships. You just say, oh, I'm just going away on tour. She go a couple of weeks, said three months to America. And just, you know, the shit hits the fan. You go like, but come on, you know, a lot of people's problem is their problem with themselves is, you know, I, 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 if someone, you know, for for me personally, if a partner says, "Oh, I'm going to do this, it's going to enrich my life," and blah blah blah, I'd go, I'd be completely um, supportive, you know, this kind of thing, given circumstances. Um, but yeah, that was sometimes problematic. Um, but then you miss birthdays and all that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> but so, but, like, but I always remember Lemmy, you know, because I, I yeah. love I love Lemmy and Motorhead. I mean, he yeah. always said, "You just don't, you don't." have relationships because they don't 
work. No. So obviously you managed to slightly do that after after a few decades yeah. of trying. So yes. yeah. So but he often said, you know, you get the little, you know, the woman in the back, you know, trying to knit jumpers for the band or having some sort of creative yeah, yeah. input. So, you know, that spinal tap meets Yoko Ono uh-huh. moment. So uh-huh. so it is quite a tricky one. I can see when a band is 24/7, it must be a very trick, you know, you just yes, because everyone you realize with a lot of especially those bands in the 80s and probably it's the same with every decade you know there's that real intense period where you know no one really expects it to take off you know because mostly people are just playing in the sort of their their sort of local area playing in Uh front of you know friends and family and anybody else they can emotionally blackmail to go and see them and then suddenly you know like I said there were the gatekeepers back in in that Mm. period you know like and John Peel was one and the and the music papers so that you know you get a John Peel session and then you I realize now that every little town and club and city every town and city had a club night you know on a Monday or Tuesday so you had the wild club at Norwich but then you had you know then you had places in Glasgow and Manchester Leeds Brighton Bristol you know every you know Ipswich at the Caribbean Centre so you yeah. get that phone call and off you'd go two weeks later to play that gig. And, you know, and I can see how things built up because then you play in front of a different audience and a different uh-huh. set of people. And slowly, you know, you develop a, a sort of a, I suppose it's a bit like the Beatles, isn't it? I mean, yeah. the, the manager obviously thought, Epstein thought, oh, you're quite good, but not that amazing. I'll send you to Hamburg. Go and go, yeah, yeah. go and learn to play, you know, for Got a few, yeah. you know, and then come back and we we can start to work on what you're about to do next. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, playing live in front of an audience must be an important part of any band. It's the only way to do it, really. It's like, just you've just got to get on with it and do it because, you know, the instruments don't learn themselves, you know. It's just like, it's just, I don't know, with, with us, and it's intense, it's highly enjoyable. And I just, I don't know, it was so much fun just to keep practising and keep playing and playing and playing and playing. And then it's second nature and you just think... You know, then I, I, there was a there was a definite change in the band around ninety four, ninety five when we were playing even more because with this old bass player they had, they were kind of reluctant to play um, as much because he was anyway a bit of a pain anyway, and um, kind of didn't fit in. And it, and then when I joined, we then did a lot more. I'm not saying because I joined and then blah blah, but it was more fluid. And I'll just backtrack quickly to a previous question. Is there any times when you wanted to kill each other? I just remembered, now we're talking about girlfriends, is if sometimes if someone had brought a problematic girlfriend on tour, i.e., you know, or, or to a gig or something, that's when sometimes there'd be a bit of friction. You know, it's like, uh, it's kind of different. It's, it's kind of hard because, you know, it's not like you're going out on a, to a meal or something nice, you're sitting in a van and you're going to probably drink some warm beer, eat some chips, sit in the van. It's not really the greatest date night. <laughs> so, you know, you have to deal with, I don't know. I, I guess sometimes then that was only around then when we probably had any problems. Yes. Yeah. Well, it would be, you know, I mean, it's, I mean. The Yoko thing, isn't it, you know. I think everyone has said, you know, the eight hours of the day can be hard, but the two hours on stage are amazing. And you do yeah, really, it yeah. because you do it, you do that that eight hours of sort of slogging it, but it isn't fun, you know, and no one really wants to be interrupted or disturbed, and you don't probably want to hear the same 
jokes that someone has said no. in the band, the, their witty kind of comment, because you think, exactly. shut up. So, yeah. um, <laughs> yes, having, having a girlfriend think, oh, we're going to have a jolly time. It's like, well, yeah. yeah no. Are we going to stop soon for a meal? Well, not really. <laughs> we're late, you know, and, and, and no, and like, can you not smoke in the van? You know, things like this. It was like, it's funny, Keith Richards said he'd, he'd just get paid. He just wants to get paid for traveling. All the rest he'll do for free. Yes. You know, it's, it's the traveling, which, you know, is sometimes... And some people just can't be bothered to travel, you know. I mean, our, our plan, if you would say, like, if there was any kind of manifesto or anything like that, it was, like, just to get out of Norfolk and go play somewhere else. You know, that was the idea all along, to go and see other places. And, you know, because so many bands who are kind of, who we know or knew from Norfolk, Suffolk or whatever, they go, well, well, well how do you do it? We go, well, just don't keep playing where you're playing. People get bored of you and, and take the chance, take a gamble. One night people think you're really shit. The other night they might think you're not so shit. You never know. It's just, you know, and you meet all these people and the adventures that you have is like, I thought about writing a lot of it down at one point, but then I thought I can't really while my mother's alive. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's because yeah, just the, almost lastly. I mean, that's one thing that I've noticed with a lot of bands recently, and a few, yeah. you know, there have been a few books and a few films come out. Have you managed to document a lot of the band and and what you've done, and in both yeah. film and photography, that there is that potential that in yeah. ten years' time, someone's going to say, actually, it might yeah. not be amazing, but it will be quite good to archive all this. Yeah, I think it would be, uh, I mean, I've got the archives right here at, at the moment. Like, Tim always takes the piss out of me because I'm like the Goober Patrol archivist. I've got all um, all of it, like, I found some stuff from the 94-95 tours, which we shot on this huge kind of, like, Del Boy's Russian video camera kind of thing. Um, you know, we'd take turns with that, thinking we were from the future. And yes. and things like that. And and I'm, I did graphic design, and then I did animation master's degree and I'm kind of you know obsessed with all this stuff um and documenting it and I've got got it all and um I thought about putting it together in some kind of like uh narrative but you know you want you'd probably want to tell the whole story wouldn't you but because you don't want to do the pg version um and I've, I've I, and again I'm I, I love all, everything music and I love I love a good autobiography you know like don't know if you read the Steve Jones one, that's really good. And like um, all these things. And I thought, well, some of them are a bit mm, not tame, but I think, you know, not so exciting. But some of our stories are so not not necessarily like dangerous as in our oh, no, no one was doing heroin and like injecting cocaine into their eyes or whatever, you know, shit like that. It was just a lot of naive, silly shit, like when you'd end up at in a trailer park to stay. And it's full of snakes and, the, you know, things like this, you know, these bizarre, this, this bizarre stuff, which is like, uh, which comes out if you've had a few beers and people go, really, you should write that down. Um, I think, yeah, maybe one day, but like I say, there's a, probably a lot you can't really discuss. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess, I mean, it has happened. I noticed that 30 years seems to be a passing of time where I suppose yeah. things have kind of like the water has gone under the bridge. But, you know, yeah. I know that the chills have got a film out and the go-betweens and the slits. Oh, really? um, and the and Dolly Mixtures has also just had one. And there was the George yeah. Best one on the, the wedding presents. George Best one oh, came right. out. 
And to be honest, they are fantastic. (laughs) You know, I'm one of those people who just kind of love those stories. And um, dear old Wayne Hussey from The Mission just had a a book out up to the point where he late leaves uh, The Sisters of Mercy. So that's part one, isn't it? So so, um, they're all coming out of the woodwork thinking... Fuck it, I'm going to do it. I'm going to upset a few. There's a few people who aren't going to enjoy it, but I'll tell the truth. So there yeah. you go. But then, you know, so so just lastly, I mean, because there was a lot of the bands that, you know, like you mentioned skateboarding and there yeah. were people like Gay Bikers on Acid and, yeah. the, and the Stupids and the Hard-Ons. The and Stupids the... were my favourite band in the world for years. I loved the Stupids. Ipswich. Yes, Jesus yeah. loves the Stupids. So yeah. did you did you feel as sort of like you were part of that scene? Because there's a lot of the yeah. people, because I did an interview with both the member of the Stupids and um, um, the guy from the Hard-Ons. And then yeah. skating, and there was another guy recently, just said that skate the skating thing is so important it kind of saved his life no totally it was like we were all part of that scene and like we we had um my friend tim he had um we built a ramp in a half pipe in his dad's back garden so there was like people coming around all the time so you'd have lots of people lots of social um and we were you know we'd follow enemy like or sounds the the brick core thing they had napalm death and all this but then there was the this other bit we like bands like the stupids perfect days um oh god and gangrene were a skate but anything with a skateboard on the cover or something like this we were part that was our scene you know it was uh we'd go to romford and you know where you punk t-shirt or whatever and there's a there was a great fanzine called skate muties from the fifth dimension at the time and that was kind of like our bible we just like lapped that up you know it was that that was our culture that was our whole thing um and obviously as we were playing more we skate stopped skateboarding because of course you know it's not great to go on tour with broken bones and stuff and and but i and our drummer actually has started skateboarding again two or three years ago. He's getting quite good. It's better than what he was when we used to skateboard. So he's uh, got a, he's a middle aged shredder. So excellent. Yes. So yeah, skateboarding was and and like I, whenever I'm bored, it's YouTube. I put on pool skating and stuff like that. And um, yeah, it's just it, it all went together really, really well. Lots of these bands from all over the world there's a band called sperm birds from germany they were like skate in the skate scene things like that it was brilliant it, we felt part of part of something yeah and just lastly because um because yeah. time's yeah so what would you say to an 18 year old self or, or something that you kind of thought you know over the decades like yeah i really learned that i would have you know just have had that whispered into my ear all right yeah if if I could talk to me now, yeah, yeah. just say or or just that thing that you would have yeah. thought. God, if someone uh, could have said to me when I was eighteen about to go on stage. Oh, okay. by the way, just one, you know, think of Lemmy. You know, not Lemmy, but you know what I mean. That I what a, mean, a, yeah. a, a person who's been around the block and went. Yes, I've learned a few things, and well, like you said, most of it's been good. But there's been a moment that you probably thought. Oh, oh yeah, I'd I'd say stay off the pop, um, as much as you can. Like don't destroy your liver because it's not worth it because sometimes you feel like uh oh you've got to be in a certain state of mind to produce a certain thing um as i've grown older and like to think i'm matured playing sober is brilliant um i have to anyway in the other band um but i I guess i'd probably I'd, i'd actually just say don't worry so much because um no that's bullshit sorry i'm just talking without thinking um 
because we didn't we didn't really worry at all. I'd, I'd, I'd say drink a bit less and look after your health because um, you can't really get that back. Um, and just be nice, you know, with, just because it's that cliche. If you see all the people going down as you do going up. Um, but there's no excuse to be an arsehole because you're just playing some music, you know, the same thing as someone's, you know, doing. It's just something you do. Um and I guess I guess that was just completely made no sense at all. <laughs> uh, I'd just say actually be a bit more healthy and uh, um, yeah, health is a good. I mean, in the current climate as well, it's kind of well, it's always good to be healthy, isn't it? Because it is, I, yes. I mean, I I subscribe to the to the like to the I'd say not to you know Lemmy and people like that. I greatly admire I you know Sid Vicious was a hero of mine when I was younger not the greatest hero from my mother's point of view to have a picture of a heroin addict on your wall shooting heroin <laughs> but it was uh, I thought it was amazing like the more rock and roll the person is the better for me because um, I think they're really really living it and and now as I'm a parent that's kind of something I have reeled right in yes, so, yeah I suppose, yeah, I suppose it's interesting because uh, it was. I think his name's Peter Black, Blackie from the Hard Ons in Australia. He, you know, he's a, an amazing keep fit addict now. So, but he does all his kind of skating, but also kung fu or karate or something. So, I think yeah, it's a it's kind of health is kind of everything at the end of the day. A lot of people are doing that now. You know, lots of people are like, you'd be amazed by how many people are sober in these in these things. There's a band called Rancid, and they were like. You know, we were like bloody rancid. They're so brilliant. And we we saw them at the Harlow Square, and they were all drinking Pepsi because they were all sober. And I remember at the time thinking, "What a punk band!" And they're not pissed. Like this is just makes no sense, but very sensible. You know, it's like <laughs> very, you know, like these people doing. You know, our, our singer of Toy Dolls, he does like Pilates, and he's every single morning he gets up and he does like a fitness regime of press ups, sit ups, and then goes on a big old bike ride, comes home and keeps writing, and this very inspirational and i hope some of that will rub off on me soon but it's like, <laughs> uh, i guess having a young kid keeps you fit you know running around after them all the time but and also when we're touring kind of fitness but it's the whole thing is that's the, the struggle <laughs> well it's not really but it's when you finish the gig and you feel all chuffed and that, happy and that and you've got all this booze and stuff it's not really the sober man's environment sometimes especially if you like like having a drink and I guess I've talked a lot about having a drink but <laughs> just, um you know I like all of that yes well that's that's, that's fine that's fine look look talk Tom, yeah. to well I'm impressed with your the amount of houses that got knocked down after you've been in them um yeah yeah that, that is probably that you you definitely win that one actually they yeah. probably it's sort of like some sort of biblical thing isn't it where they had to sort of you know have the grand sort of you know cleansed afterwards yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not bad, is it? It's like, have you seen the film Carrie? Yes. And it, and it comes down and the hand shoots out because when they knocked the last house down, I was thinking, that'd be so. I mean, the, I, was, I was, again, I was incredible. When we got evicted, I thought, each time we got evicted, I thought, oh, God, that's the end of our utopian lifestyle. But then we'd find another house and move along. <laughs> <laughs> Happy days. Happy days. Yes. Happy neighbours. Look, well, look, Tom, thank you ever so much for this. And when I do it, I'll, um, I'll send you a link and that'll be amazing. Okay. okay and uh, Cheers, David. well, take care. Yeah. Take care yourself. And hurrah for Skype. Okay. Look, have a great year.
Nice one. You too. Yeah. See you later. Bye. 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 Bye.